most amazing. I, you know, I love that record. I, mm -hmm. I love that record because songs are, are like your children, you know, they, and, uh, you know, you're not supposed to have favorites and I, and in a way I don't, you know, mm -hmm. and, but, you know, some of them turn out pretty good and some of them wind up pumping gas, you know, for the rest of their lives. <laughs> 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 you know, but, uh, you know, but every once in a while, you know, you get one that, that goes to college and, uh, you know, get the job and then when they look at all, they send checks home to dad, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Dystopia tonight. Wow, John, we've been having so many incredible guests this week between Monday, Tuesday. Every, I feel like every day we either have an incredible cartoonist, comedian or musician. And we have our second great musician this week, huh? Yeah, I'm I'm I love this dude. I'm so pumped to have him. He's like one of my favorite singer songwriters, uh, just like folk blues music. And uh, I found him in uh, 2012. I didn't find him, but I found one of his albums uh, <laughs> the first time in 2012. <laughs> Uh, and I've loved, just loved him ever since and followed his career. And I'm so, so pumped that he's coming on right now with us. So I'm, I'm like super excited. Yeah. And we appreciate everybody out there that's watching and tuning in. And if you're not catching us live, make sure you go and you can watch any of the back episodes on the YouTube channel, John Poveromo at Dystopia Tonight, or find us on uh, Apple podcast or Spotify or anywhere where you listen to your podcast, make sure you drop yeah. us a five-star rating. And I don't know, we had a great guest earlier this week and we did. Yeah, and Peter Asher gave us some incredible clips. We're going to play a real quick clip of him, and then we're going to be right back with the amazing Chris Smither. Dystopia tonight. Have you ever thought about going back through something you'd produced and trying to do it in a different way? Have you ever looked back on it like, oh, what if we did it like this? Or Yes, but usually that's a mistake because if the record was successful, mm -hmm. people want to hear the one they heard back then. Yeah, true. They don't care. Artists always want to do that. They go, oh, we can do that one so much better than I did it back in the day. For the mm -hmm. Greatest Hits album, let's do a new version. Right. And everyone hears it and goes, ah, you know, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care that it's nominally better in some respects. Right. But I want the one that I heard when I was making out in the back of the car or whatever. You know, I want the one that is that era. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I know I'm like that. If you buy, sometimes you buy an album of greatest hits and you find out they're like remakes so now jeff lynn on the other hand you know has re redone all his hits mm -hmm. exactly they they sound exactly like the originals yeah only better cleaner and they're great you know but when people think oh i can do a better arrangement or a better style of vocal or this and the other even if you think it's better we, we're not going to because we're in love with the one you did years ago John, I'm Good, man. It's great to be here Thanks so much for coming on. What do you, how, how do you feel about that kind of stuff? Do you like listening to the same, like, like the one that you heard the first time is the one you stick with? Yeah, in a, in a way, you know, but it's different when, you, when you're the musician, you know, you have a sort of a, a, an inkling, a hankering to, 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 
do it the way you would do it now. You know, it's it's, it's right. difficult. I understand the audience really wants to hear it the way that they the way they learned it. You know, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, like about six years ago, we went uh, down to New Orleans, and uh, we spent about three weeks there and recorded a whole retrospective album because I'd I'd been in the business fifty years by that time, and mm -hmm. and we did all wow. these these choice little things from the whole catalog going all the way back to the first song I ever wrote and wow. ending up with something modern. And, and it was quite successful. The, the whole project was really successful. And yet um, most of the songs, I think they, they're, they're totally recognizable. I, I don't think they're, right. they're, they're so far out in left field, but the, um, it was just really fun. We had Alan Toussaint on piano for like two or three things, and, and uh, wow. just yeah. some wonderful, wonderful people. Um, and it was kind of it was the longest I'd spent in New Orleans since I left home. <laughs> it was, wow! So, wow. so it made me feel homesick, you know. I, oh. it was, uh, I got to got to feeling like I was back there again, you know, for real. Yeah. I like seeing somebody take their music that they had when they were younger and see what they kind of what kind of spin or inflection they put on the lyrics or maybe add to it when they get, you know, uh, you know, older, a little bit more developed in their career and stuff like that. So I always kind of like to see what the spin is. But then there's times where like um, I remember growing up like uh, my mom was like a huge John Denver fan. So like I would listen to that, you know, one particular album that we had. But, you know, he's a guy that I think that used to do like repeat songs on his albums. So right. I would find a friend who liked John Denver and they'd be playing like a different album. I'd be like, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> this isn't the song. <laughs> this isn't how it goes. You know, yeah, you're messing, you're messing with my DNA, essentially. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I feel like, you know, because I, I structured my whole life on this arrangement. That I got. <laughs> I exactly. Before. Yeah. You know? I'm like, I have a whole movie in my head of this and driving down the road and memories and stuff of that. But it is interesting. Right. We got a nice shot out on you know the one the album that I was talking about. We got, you know, uh, I think the Times. One of the critics from the Times put uh, a whole list together of of a hundred albums to listen to during the pandemic, and and I was in there. Oh, beautiful! Sandwiched, <laughs> sandwiched between uh, Thelonious Monk and some other heavyweight. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. And uh, and he said he did a nice job of saying, you know, normally I don't like this kind of record, but this one does the job. So anyway, wow, yeah. oh, that's beautiful, I, man. I felt, I'm gonna have to I look felt that up. Justified. Yeah, <laughs> you should, dude. I I love listening to your stuff. Um, and and again, when I I think I the album that I was talking to you about, um, backstage is the one um that you came out with in 2012, and mm -hmm. I uh, it was I don't know, it was just one of those things where like it's a uh, hundred dollar Valentine is the name of the right. album. Right. Love that album. And then it made me go back and like just check out your other stuff or whatever. But that's the one that I like hold on to the most. It's the one I go back to the most. I think it's because that's the first one I found. Yeah, well, that's the, you know, I, I go back to the first Everly Brothers record I ever heard too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking of that because Phil just died. You know, yeah. 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 Was, um, yeah. It's, that's, that's the way it is. You know, it's, it, it, it forms you. It forms you, mm -hmm. molds you. Absolutely. Yeah. What was, you know, what was cool too is that I just, and I didn't know this until uh, we were, you know, kind of preparing for the interview a little bit, but you had um, a bunch of talented performers, Bonnie Raitt and uh, um, John Ritter and uh, um, a few others come together and do like a retrospect, like an album, like of 
their favorite songs that you've done. Oh, yeah. What was um, that like having like people like that kind of come together and do your songs? Did you, was it? Oh, cool? that was the link. Yes, it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's one of the most amazing. I, you know, I love that record. I, mm -hmm. I love that record because songs are, are like your children, you know, they, and, uh, you know, you're not supposed to have favorites. And I, and in a way, I don't, you know, mm -hmm. and, but, you know, some of them turn out pretty good and some of them wind up pumping gas, you know, for the rest of their lives. <laughs> 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 you know, but, uh, you know, but every once in a while, you know, you get one that, that goes to college and, uh, you know, get the job and when they look at all, they send checks home to dad, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> did you? But, but did you, those people, you know, when they did those, I, I, I would sit there and listen to those versions of the songs mm -hmm. and i didn't know the record was happening to tell you the truth you know i that oh, was wow. something my record company put together and they told me a little bit about it they said well we thought we'd get some people to cover your tunes and maybe do a, a thing but i had no idea that there were going to be i think there's 16 or 17 artists on there and yep. they're all first rate people you know and and uh and i heard these things and it was just um a marvel to me because I would sit and listen to the arrangement and I'd say, now how the hell did she find that in there? You know, that, is, <laughs> right. I didn't know that was in there. I wrote it and I didn't know it was in there. And um, and I would, you know, I but really my, my overall reaction was to just listen to it and, and, and it's like talking to my children and say, hey, you know, I like what happened to you. I like your friends. <laughs> Very cool. I'm sure this happens to every every artist at some point, but you I know you've had um songs that were hits. Did you ever have songs that you just, you know, you thought personally should have gone farther than they did and and kind of hold on to that this day? Or do you kind of just go oh, like yeah. I'm just there's gonna a, take whatever? Well, there's always songs that you know that you think, oh man, this one's gonna this is gonna do it. You know? <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm getting a little old now to start believing in that, you know, because and and normally they happen through other people you know it's all just and so mm -hmm. much of it is luck and so much of it is i mean there, there are thousands of, of fabulous musicians all over the world and, and how many do we actually get to interact with right you know, in any yeah. way and so it's not a really a surprise but you know the, when bonnie first did uh love me like a man mm -hmm. When I originally wrote that, it was "I Can Love You Like a Man," you know, but she, mm -hmm. she sort of changed it around. And that song, I I always thought it was a good song, but I never thought it would become a blues standard. But today, you can you can walk into any bar where there's a blues band playing, and if there's a woman singer, mm -hmm. they're going to do that tune. Yep, <laughs> I just didn't wait for it. <laughs> I've I've heard it many a karaoke night. <laughs> yeah, right. and, and so you just don't, you know. And I never would have predicted that, you know, mm. I thought it was a nice tune, you know, but it, I, you know, I thought to myself, come on, can I, I've done something worthwhile since I was 23, which is why I wrote this song. <laughs> <you know>? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Though. Yeah. yeah. I know I was reading an, um, an interview with Bonnie Raitt, then uh, she was talking about you and she had said that you were her Eric Clapton. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She said that the first time she ever said that she said it uh, right in front of the, um, the writer, it was a, b backstage at a, 
um, some concert that we were doing, and she said it in front of uh, the, the head music writer for the Boston Globe to make sure I got some press. That's oh, the kind of wow. friend she is. <laughs> <laughs> that's phenomenal. You can't be that kind of friend. No. Oh, that's amazing. What was uh, what was it like? I mean, were you, did you hold up okay during the pandemic and stuff? Were you doing like, because I know everyone, we were all kind of grounded. We couldn't tour or anything like that. But did you right. wind up doing any online stuff? or? I did a lot of streaming stuff, you know, quite a bit. Um, How'd you like it? I liked it well enough in the beginning, but, you know, it has a limited shelf life. I, it, it's one of those things that, that uh, people get tired of it. I think, you know, the audience... Mm -hmm they hear one or two and then i think what they're what's going through their mind is i've heard this record you know and because <laughs> it's not like it's not like a live performance where you go hear somebody in a club and and the and the interaction is different the vibe right. is different each time you know and there's that yeah. that that sort of ethereal thing that you build with the yeah. audience and the audience has a part to play and they understand that the best audiences understand that and they yeah it's a cooperative effort and, and you create this thing that lasts for the evening and and uh that's missing in streaming it's just a tv show you know and there's nothing wrong with tv shows i like them right <laughs> <You know? laughs> but I, I like live performance yeah i know we all kind of missed out on that kind of stuff even even doing the stand-up and stuff doing the zoom shit was not sure. uh it it lost its um uniqueness after a while we were like oh my god I, like you're just staring at yourself on the screen for the most part because right you know people don't have their camera on or they don't have their mic on or they're, they're sleeping they forgot it's on uh <laughs> so and, and, the, and the audience isn't feeding you either right yeah. right yeah. exactly it's a palpable energy like there's an yeah. a, 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 it's live for the evening where you actually have that engagement with them for the whole time well, you, it leaves you feeling. So, I, I have a question. What inspired okay. you to get into to get into music originally? Like, what was the initial inspiration? I um, oh, there were a bunch of them. You know, I, I just always sang songs. You know, I, I was born in the '40s. I grew up in the '50s. My parents had these old folk music albums: Josh White and Burl Ives and the Weavers and oh, things like that. Nice. And I would and and I loved to sing. I just you know I would sing all these little songs and yeah. and um, and then one night one day I found a guitar in the attic. And I thought it was a guitar. <laughs> and, and my uncle, who was actually <laughs> my dad's brother, he was quite a good musician. And he said, that's a uke. That's not a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I was little, you know, so it seemed like a guitar to me. Right. And he, yeah. and he says, you want to learn how to play it? And I said, sure. You know. And so he tuned it to an open chord. And then oh, he wow. showed me, he showed me open, fifth fret, seventh fret. You know, and that's like a one, four, five progression. And he, wow. and he said, he said, okay, now sing one of your songs. And uh, <laughs> so I started to sing one of these little folk tunes. You know, he says, no, you got to sing it in the same key. And so. <laughs> and he, says, he goes, hmm, okay, here's your note. Ah. That's, that's where you want to start. So I started and I, I'm strumming along and it sounded pretty good. And then it didn't sound so good. And he says, well, try one of the other chords there, you know, and, and he marched me through the whole uh, one whole verse, you know. I said, "Well, now what?" And he said, "Well, the next verse is just the same, you know." Wow. Repeated, and I said, "Is it that easy?" And he said, "It is that easy." <laughs> <laughs> he, says, he says, "Let me tell you." He says, "If you know three chords, you can play almost any song you know, and wow. if you know four chords, you can rule the world." 
Oh. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I was, I think I was nine or 10 years old at the time. And then your head just right. grew exponentially after that. Well, You're like, I, I well, I just, I had so much fun doing it, you know? And then mm. I started seeing some concerts. I remember seeing, I don't know if you ever saw a classical guitarist named Julian Bream. No, but, but Julian, Julian Bream, he, he toured quite a bit in, in, uh, I guess it would have been the late fifties, early sixties. And I saw him perform at a concert, took a girlfriend to see it. And he was so personable and, and he had, he was just one guy, one guitar, not even singing. And he was just sitting up there on stage and he had everybody in the room wrapped around his little finger. Wow. And, and, and I thought, I would love to be able to do that. <laughs> oh, God. I just wanted to do it so bad. And, and, you know, one thing led to another. My father bought me a guitar. And and then I, I discovered that if you could actually play guitar and, and and sing songs that you heard on the radio, that the girls would come around. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> they would pay attention to you. You, know? yeah. you, didn't, you didn't have to be the quarterback. You didn't have to be Honestly, yeah. I feel like with all the comics and musicians that we've had on, I feel like would men do anything unless women were involved? Like, no. <laughs> like, yeah, the entire <laughs> impetus to be creative or successful is just we're all that that well, you, you know baboon to, with the colorful ass. You know what I mean? Just want, showing it off. To, you want to impress the people you love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The people yeah. that mean something to you. In the best way possible. Yeah. Uh, what was it? So your dad got you your first guitar. He brought it to you from Spain, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And he said, do you think he can handle all these strings? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah. I've still got the guitar. You know, oh, it's that's a wreck. It's a that... total wreck, but it's hanging up on the wall. Wow. wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Who were the guys that uh, you, did you grow up emulating anybody when you first started out? Not really. You know, I, it was a whole, uh, mm, well, just those singers that I mentioned, you know, the Weavers yeah. and Burl Ives, things like that. And I didn't really get into sort of trying to imitate people or sound like people until uh, I was, whew, by that time, I was probably um, 17 or 18 years old. I remember those my freshman year of college. And I, I was in Mexico City because I was going to be an anthropologist. I had no idea I was going to be a musician. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, That's awesome, and, uh, though. And I, I had a roommate, and he was from um, he was from Texas, uh, a transfer student from Texas A&M, and, uh, and he loved the way I played the guitar. He loved these songs, and I had just sort of started to get into, like, Joan Baez and Bob Dylan, I think, mm. and I was just sort of starting, and he said, you, he said, you should listen to this guy, and he, and he hands me a Lightning Hopkins album. Oh, wow. And it was, I, 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 I was uh, listening to it, and and I didn't, and I said, what is this? He said, he's, he's a blues guy from Texas. You know, well, I didn't know what actually, I knew the word blues, but I didn't mm -hmm. know what it meant, you know, in a way. Yeah. Right. But I, I sat there and I listened to that record. And what I heard was one man rock and roll. And I said, my prayers have been answered. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to have a band. Nobody has to find out just how little you know. You know? Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I think at one point I must have learned every song on that record. You know? Wow. And, and that led me, once I understood that, okay, this is blues, and I sort of started reading a little bit, find out what blues was all about, then I started looking for 
other things that, that fill, would fill that bill. And, and one of the most significant records after that was, was a, a Vanguard album called The Blues at Newport, 1963. And, oh, wow. and it just had everybody on it. I mean, it had like six or seven artists on it, but people I had never heard of. But every single one of them blew my mind. Wow. Presently, the, the one that blew truly blew my mind was Mississippi John Hurt. And I thought that, huh. that his guitar style was just this, this intoxicating, mm -hmm. uh, rolling, um, sort of semi-syncopated, the kind of playing that sounds, he makes it sound so easy. And some of the yeah. trickiest <laughs> stuff in the world. You know, but I love that. And, and, and Brown, Sonny and Terry and Brownie McGee were on that album. Dave Van Ronk was on that album. Skip James was on that album. I mean, it was... It was just a treasure, you know. It just wow. sort of—I was off and running at that point. And Johnny Hammond, Johnny Hammond, John, yeah. Johnny Hammond, mainly because Johnny Hammond was this young white guy who was trying to do exactly what I was. What well, you were, yeah. Wow, yeah. And I thought, oh, it can be done. It can. Be done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man! So you were in college when you did? It. Did you have your first paid gig in college, or were you just kind of torn around the campus? Uh, no, I had I had a, a couple of little paid gigs down on Bourbon Street. There was a folk club, uh, not a folk club, a bar mm -hmm. uh, with a, sort of a house Kingston trio sandwiched between two strip clubs. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and there was and uh, they hired me. I think I was getting five dollars a night to play these little tweener sets in between, like when the, the oh, house Kingston night, trio. Wow. Would, yeah. What? Plus free drinks. That Plus free drinks. Yeah, no, but that's like, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we're talking 1963, yeah. you know. 64, right. So, you know, five bucks was probably $30 today. Yeah, that's right. That's awesome. So you got that and the free drinks, stuff like that. Did you think about at the time, like, were you were you straying away from anthropology? Or were you still like, no, I'm going to finish and I'm going to do my... Oh, do my stuff was, and you know i went to i you know i was still i was going to be in a, I, and i'm still interested in anthropology interesting right <laughs> I mean, you know, my father was an academic everybody in my family was an even the musician the uncle that taught me the guitar he was he was uh, an academic musician I mean, he, oh wow he taught musicology he also played a mean jazz trumpet but he was oh. <laughs> but, he, but uh he uh, then i went to i went to paris in my junior year and, and that's where the whole thing, the whole academic thing fell apart because uh, I just discovered this, this whole other world that I didn't know anything about. And I was playing in, in these little dives all over the place with people who knew so much more than I did, you know. And Did you get to, so, hey, is that where you like get to get like met your like friends and musical crew kind of like over there with those guys? I, some of them and some of them have stayed friends for the rest of my life you know I, oh. I have a couple of really good friends but that's not really where where i made all my connections i i came back to the states and i knew that uh like my academic career was sort of on the skids mm -hmm. i sort of tried to tough out one more year in new orleans i was going to tulane at the oh, time nice. and, and uh, which is where my dad taught so <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> you were you were there when your dad taught there? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. how what was that like? Uh, well, I never saw him. You know. Oh, you never did. Okay. <laughs> he was in the language department, but okay. I saw him. But but yeah, yeah, know. yeah. But it wasn't like but, you guys. You know, I didn't have to. I didn't have to deal with him. Put ah, it got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then um, I got you know. By the time I got to to the end of that fourth year, I knew that that, that 
the degree was certainly not going to happen. And mm-hmm. but a friend of mine who also played guitar had said, said "Come on over, let's go to." Um, come. He lived in Florida. Okay. He said, "You know," he says, "Eric von Schmidt lives in Sarasota in the wintertime." Oh, nice. uh, and Eric von Schmidt, <clears throat> if you don't know him, is famously mentioned on Bob Dylan's first record. Yep. And um, and he was sort of a, a leading light uh, in the whole Cambridge songwriter folk scene and, and uh, Club 47 and mm-hmm. that whole shooting match. And uh, so I said, well, that would be amazing, you know. So I, yeah. we drove over to Florida. I think we had three or four days off and we took a week. And went to went to Florida and and just looked him up in the phone book and and, and you I, and you met him? Yeah, I I called him up. I said, man, I, I, my name's Chris. I'm a big fan of yours. I'm I'm from New Orleans, visiting here, and I found out that you lived here. And he said, well, come on over. Wow. <laughs> and I I you know I know this sounds like totally improbable. I mean, but. That's, <laughs> And so we went over to his house. He lived, he had this little beach house on Siesta Key, and which you cannot afford to live on. I don't care how much money you got now. <laughs> <laughs> but, and uh, but it's all high rises and, and huge mansions and stuff now. But uh, yeah. we went over to his house, and it was full of people that I had seen on records. Jim Queskin's joke band, half of them were there. And, wow, uh, that's and, incredible. So I, I went in and, and, and he met me at the door and handed me a beer and said, hey, Chris, come on in. You know? and, I, and I I went in and, you know, at some point during the evening, he says, well, play us something. You know? So I played, everybody was playing, you know, everybody was sort of songs flopping. So I, wow. I played something the best way, best I knew how, you know, and, and everybody went, wow, that's all right. Play us another nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I And I did. So anyway, you know, How gradually, you? I would have been twenty at the time. Jesus, and you got to, wow, that's incredible. <laughs> called him up and on the phone book, I out of the phone him. book, and he just invites yeah. you over, and all these guys are there. Um, yeah, I mean, wow. So, and then he says, "Well, where are you living now?" And I said, "New Orleans." And, and he said, "Well, uh, oh man," he says, "You got to come up to you know New York and, and Cambridge and Club Forty Seven. People are never going to hear you in New Orleans." I mean, he was right. Yeah. Yeah. Did you make the move? Oh, you kidding me? That was the (laughs) word of God. (laughs) That was that was the Lord Himself saying, "Yeah, get thee thee gone." Wow. And uh, I got up there as fast as I could. You know, I, I, you know, I, I, I I never did finish that year of school. I, I went up. Okay. And uh, I met a girl that another guitar player singer who had aspirations and she had a, a nice little mustang you know we drove oh. all <laughs> we, we we hit washington and we had you know all, all the cities on the way up the east coast you know we finally got mm. to cambridge got to the okay this is gonna <laughs> i know this all sounds so improbable but we get to cambridge <laughs> the night that we got to cambridge we find harvard square we find mm-hmm. the club 47 and i go and i, I look at the door and who should be playing that night? Eric no way. Oh my God. <laughs> That's nuts. And so there was this guy at the door and he said, Hey, how you doing? And I said, uh, I, I found out later his name was Jim Rooney. Now Jim Rooney is a very famous figure. And I mean, he, he's produced a lot of country people. He produced mm-hmm. Nancy Griffith, you know? Who, who yeah, I know. Who just, 
just I'm passed crushed herself. Crushed by that. That was terrible. I know. She was a wonderful woman. Yeah. But, uh, and I said, I'm a friend of Eric's, you know, and he said, well, he's just right back there. You can go say hi if you want. He didn't even charge me any money, you know. Oh, and, I went in. <laughs> and Eric says, Eric says, after we, he said, hey, man. And I think he was a little bit afraid because I'd taken him at his word. I just sort of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going, I'm going, you know. And, uh, and he says, hey, you want to play some songs? Go up and play three songs before I start my second set. And wow. I thought, I thought my fortune is made. I'm, yeah. <laughs> my first night in Cambridge, and I'm playing on the stage of the Club 47. Well, I never, I didn't get back into the Club 47 for another 30 years, but oh. that, was, that was the beginning. And wow. uh, it was, uh, I don't know. I, I, I thought I was going to spend a summer doing that. Yeah. You know? And what a beautiful it, start, though. I mean, you can't. I, I, that's incredible. No, it's it's like you can't make these things up. You know? it's, uh, yeah. I mean, were you were you at the time aware of how random that was, or were you just like, no, this is this is? I was scared to death. I you know. <laughs> that's what I like to. Hear. <laughs> that makes but, that makes know, it I, way make more sense to me. <laughs> yeah. I, I I just I couldn't believe it. I you know, but. What did yeah, your parents yeah. think when you left and went out there? Were they were they like cool with you dropping out of college at the time, or no? They weren't cool with it, but you know, uh, they had the grace and the intelligence not to make a fuss about it. You know, nice. I, I, it, it was, and it took you know after about three years, I think my father realized that I <laughs> that I hadn't asked him for any money. So. but you know what really happened now this is another story um that same uncle my my uh that taught me the ukulele his name was howard howard smith and my dad's younger brother Mm -hmm. and uh i went back home to visit at some point you know and i was i knew all now my my uncle howard was also at tulane he later went to the university of north carolina but he was he was at tulane at the time and he was over at the house and, and we were sitting around in the dining room, just, you know, drinking coffee and talking and this, that, and the other. And my mm-hmm. dad says, hey, Chris, go get your guitar, play something for Howard. And <laughs> you know, I didn't want to do it, I didn't, I, you know, because Howard likes like a real musician, you know, and it, was, and it was also like this pressure situation. But my father could be insistent when he wanted to. So I, mm-hmm. I, I got the guitar and I came in and. I played something I was working on. I played it man, as well as I could play it, and it was fast, and it was loud, and it was syncopated, and, it, and I finished it, and Howard leans back in his chair, and he goes, man, that's great. <laughs> and my father, my father looks at him and goes, really? <laughs> but, you know, from that moment on, I never got a word of grief about what wow. I was doing from my father because the family expert had pronounced judgment and said, oh, that's beautiful. You know, so did they come out to see you play like performing oh, clubs many, and stuff eventually? Many times, many that's times. That's great. Yeah. And they what was, assiduously saved articles, you know, that would appear. Yeah. <laughs> so that, so it's incredible because I feel like, you know, uh, you know, meeting one of your meeting one of your heroes is calling him up in the phone book and then getting to go over to his house and then having him tell you to come out and move a certain place and then seeing him again. Like, what was your what do you do you consider that like the moment where you 
um, kind of broke in the music business where you were like, this is my trajectory? Or do you have any, is there another moment where you were like, I'm solidified now, I'm in? Um, I never felt like I was solidified or in until I had been in for a good long time. Good long time? Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it's an interesting kind of thing. I, I had moments when I thought I was going to be a big star. Um, really i mean i and but i you know that first summer i didn't know what i was going to do at the end of the summer because the vietnam war was raging and i didn't have i no longer had a student deferment and there was no lottery in those days if you didn't have some kind of deferment you know you were you had to go you, you yeah go get shot at and, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right then uh so i you know everything was kind of up in the air and i was I was having the time of my life. I mean, I really, I was so happy. I was doing something that I wanted to do. Yeah. And I was doing it well. And I was getting somewhere. That's how I felt, you know. And, but um, it was it was when that problem got solved, about the, then, the draft, that, that I started to feel like, okay, I'm, a, I'm in this for the long run as far as I can see. You know? Nice. Yeah. Did you have a lot of um, uh, road work right away? Like, were you out touring and stuff like that when you were younger too? Um, yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, I was. I mean, I, it took me five years to get a record deal. Wow. Um, okay. And uh, I finally did get a record deal. Um, I, I'm with Poppy Records. I was, you know, I was listening to Towns Van Zandt, and he was on Poppy Records, and I said, "Well, they, maybe they would like me if they like this guy." So. <laughs> And, uh, so did you just submit it an album? Yeah, I did. Wow. And they they sent some guys up to a club to hear me, you know, ah. and they said, "Yeah, we want to do this." And so, and I had a manager at the time. He he was kind of a high powered manager, in, in terms of name recognition, because he managed all the all the top acts. He managed Joan Baez. He managed uh, Doc Watson and wow, uh, all these folk acts, and. and um, I never felt like he, he did much for me, but that was <laughs> at the time. But I, I didn't realize, you know, like what kind of exposure just being on his roster gave yeah. him, you know. And so, I, you know, pretty soon I was playing clubs in New York and Philadelphia. And then I got to do on my second album, I got to go out and do West Coast and then Chicago. Did you, when you were, I was going to ask when you were out on the West Coast and you were doing that album and stuff um did you ever like did you ever feel like part of that crew that was up in um you know laurel canyon and like those guys like did you did you ever no what no was, what was your was, was, yeah sorry that was, that was sort of out of my uh you know those guys were i mean i've subsequently met many of them you know, yes some of yeah. them have become friends you know but at mm -hmm. the time at the time, that was a whole other world, you know, and people were leaving the East Coast to go out and participate in that. Right. But I was comfortable in the East Coast. I mean, yeah. I, I'd been to California and I enjoyed it enormously, but uh, I, I felt like I was really far away from everything, you know, even though there was all this action going on, you know. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I felt like my, almost like the East Coast was my spiritual home. Mm -hmm. And in turn, because it, it was, it was old, you know, yeah. <laughs> there, there was yeah. this patina of antiquity about it, you know, and, and sort of died in the world. A lot of compost that you, could, you were <laughs> sitting yeah. on top of. And, and, and plus it was halfway between Paris and, 
and San Francisco. So that's a nice place. Right. I was going to say, but I think you can actually tell the difference between the album made on the East, on the West coast. And then from the other albums on the East coast, you know what I mean? There is, there is a sense of like, when you made those other albums, when you were comfortable where you were, there's a different tone to those. Yeah. But I, you know, it took me a long time to, to figure out, you know, how to enjoy myself in the studio. I always, you know, Mm. Making making the records was was torture for me in the beginning because I, what's that process I, like? Well, for me, it was like I I always had this sense that it was final exam time, you know, oh. and, and I hadn't studied enough, and now people were going to find out just how bad I really was <laughs> 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 because I didn't get to make the records by myself. I, you know, mm-hmm. it's like I was a solo artist, and suddenly I was playing with these other people, you know, yeah. And, and the thing that I did find out in the beginning was that those people were some of the kindest, some of the sweetest people in the world. I, you wow. know, those people, these people that I were working with, and they would they would encourage me, and you know, and come and I hear. I tell you, want to hear a story? Yes, please. <laughs> the bass player Richard Davis, mm-hmm. fabulous, fabulous jazz bassist. He was on my first record, and uh, and. Uh, I was scared to death. You know, we had a drummer. I'd hardly ever worked with a drummer before. I had one friend in the studio. In fact, a guy that I had met in Paris way back in 64, you know. Oh, nice. And um, he was playing second guitar and some of the lead stuff. And uh, so, you know, here I was recording my first <laughs> my first recording, and I was in RCA Studio A. I mean, this is legendary studio. Right. And, wow. and uh um so we we've been working on this one tune and richard comes over to me and he says so he says you know can you explain something to me there's this little coda in in this song and i can't quite get seem to get it and your buddy over here plays it like he's falling off a log and i can't quite (laughs) catch it so if you could explain it to me i think i'd do a better (laughs) job for you well, I didn't even know what a coda was. <laughs> so I, I said to him, you know, I said, well, I can I can try. I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about when you say coda. I said, I don't know very much about music, really. And, and he, he looked at me and he touched me on the knee and he said, oh, don't say that. He, said, <laughs> he says, you know a great deal about music. He says, you just don't know how to talk about it. <laughs> and, and it was the kindest, most comforting thing. that he, mm. I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't think he'll ever have any idea of what it meant to me to, to have him say that to me at the time. But, you know, yeah. that's, wow. that's the kind of people that you run into. That's really nice, too. It's funny that you say that, because uh, uh, we were just, I was, we had Peter Asher on the other day, and uh-huh. I was kind of just talking about how, like, you know, all the great musicians, all my heroes and everything didn't really know how to read or write music or or anything like that. They taught themselves how to play. They knew it in their head organically. Right. But, but to do that kind of stuff. So that's interesting that they said that to you because it seems like those are all the best musicians are the ones that don't, you know, they're just like, it's, it's already in them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the best musicians are the ones that actually do learn something about music, but they don't let it hurt their playing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Uh, so you were, so we were in California, you went and did those albums. Um, 
what was your writing process like and did it evolve like over over time from when you were i mean obviously it evolved in some sense but were you a type of guy that wrote the music first a song came in your head um, and then you did the lyrics or was it lyrics no it's always it's always music first with me you know mm-hmm. it's, it starts with a guitar lick and then, and then I, I sort of work my way through you know um, uh, the harmonic rhythm you know get the changes down and, and usually you know often it's not it starts with a lick that i think oh that's cool you know and oh, I nice. just build on the lick you know and mm-hmm. sometimes that becomes like a little signature motif within the song then right. uh, then i gotta come up with you know, the next step is is a melody against the guitar part i mean i'm as a guitar player i'm really an accompanist you know more than mm-hmm. anything but and i'm better at it way better than i used to be but still you know then i i I start singing against it you know just to to, you know trying to find a tune Mm -hmm. within those changes and and i start scat singing you know it's just right nonsense nonsense syllables and eventually something pops out and then you know you look at it and go what the hell is that about (laughs) (laughs) i've often i've often said you know it's it's like trying to it's like trying to have a conversation with a a part of your brain that you're not really on speaking terms with, you know, and oh, you, you yeah. have to sort of, you, you know, um, <laughs> Cliff Everhart once said he, when he writes, he, he sits there and he, he's writing it and he turns his head away from the pencil and he says, I'm not looking at you because <laughs> 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 he doesn't want to scare it off. You know, I, right. I understand. I understand exactly what he means. You know, you, you, you have to let it, you know, people who don't write songs have often will have a notion that that the song you have the idea for the song and then you just sort of write it down. And in fact, you, it, what happens is you start writing and then the idea for the song happens. You know, it's, right. It's a very organic process. And, and uh, now mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who write the lyrics first. Mm-hmm. You know, haven't done that, but. To me, that's that's a, a very difficult proposition because then you, you have to start forcing the scansion and, and the, the rhythm. If I can get the guitar rhythm down, then the, the lyrics automatically fit the beat. You know? Wow. It's, I, I don't have to force them. Where do you do you draw any inspiration from, like, uh, you know, personal experiences or books you've read or, or oh, people yeah. that inspire you over the for, for the mute for the lyrics? All kinds of things, yeah, yeah, all those things. Um, right. Just lines, you know. I I wrote one song called "Up on the Lowdown," and it was, <laughs> and uh, that came out of a conversation I was having with my mechanic who was trying to put this old jalopy that I oh that's driving great. at the time. And he calls me up. He says, "Chris, it's got this wrong with it. It's got that wrong with it." And I said, "Okay, how much money are we up to?" And and he, he said, "Oh, we're up still. We're up to about six, seven hundred bucks." And I said, "Okay, keep going." You know, just wow. keep fixing things, but keep me up on the lowdown. And, <laughs> you know, like, about what's really going on? Yeah. And he said, right, you know, check in with you. And and then I, I, I happened, I was working on tunes at the time. I sat back down, I go, up on the lowdown. God, right. Mind, you know? And, yeah. Well, one, one of my favorite songs of yours is off of the first album that I heard of yours in the 2012 album that you came out with, um, uh, you know, and it's um, What They Say. Oh, <laughs> where did the, where did that song come from? Because I love the lyrics. The lyrics in that song are beautiful. Uh, that came from the, you know, 
it's it's just a, that whole notion of people talking about things that they have no idea. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it was <laughs> trying to be authoritative. I'm I'm embarrassed to say that that that's that song. Uh, it's been out of the rotation so long that I wouldn't even know how to start to play it for you at the moment. Oh wow! I, do, I you know it's 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 a catchy little number, and and actually, uh, um, Loud Wainwright did that too. Yes, uh, he he played it on the on the uh, on, yeah yeah on the rest great of that album, and um, did a great job. And uh, you know, I the, one of the things that I've been doing during the pandemic is going back over over old material that I haven't nice. played in a long time, and I look at it, and I go, shit, that's a good song. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it's, so, it's so funny because it's one of those songs that the minute it starts with that uh, the first line is they say the good die young, but it ain't for yeah. certain. I've been good all day. I was like, oh my, like it just hit me immediately where I was like, that's a great line. <laughs> like, that's so thank you, thank you. Yeah, that, that was great. And then at, at, towards the end when you said, uh, um, if words were wisdom, we'd all speak and smarten up from week to week. I was like, oh my God, that's so great. Because everybody is just like, blah, 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 blah. And you're not even getting it. Yeah, you're like, oh, everybody's so full of shit. <laughs> yeah that was always thanks, thanks for reminding me of that because I'll, I'll sit down and woodshed that song tomorrow oh great oh my god I'm, i'll be so glad i'll come to see you man if i hope it's okay. i hope it makes it back in the roster when i come um that's like one of the best uh so that's cool so you start out with the music and stuff first and whatever when you like do you ever collaborate with other artists or anything like that do you ever kind of like feel like you know sitting down and jamming and then something comes from that a few times I have, you know, I, there's uh, there's one song that I I, I co-wrote. I, I'm not a co-writer. I mean, to me, I, there's something intensely private about writing songs, and, I, and it's all I can do mm -hmm. to find somebody that I will even show unfinished work to. You know, right. Just, wow. But um, but I've done a couple, and they've been very successful, actually. Um, I mean, from a personal standpoint, I, you know, mm -hmm. I, really, I really like them, you know. But recently, the last couple of records, um, especially my producer, David Goodrich, uh, Goody, is uh, a marvelous musician. I mean, he's he's one of the people that I was talking about who knows everything there is to know about music, but he, he doesn't really hurt his playing, you know? <laughs> right, he's, right. <laughs> he's a fabulous player, and um, he can get me going. And he's one of those people that that, that everybody needs that you trust you know, mm. to, 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 and he, you know, he'll come up and if I'm, if I'm truly buckling down to, to produce enough tunes for a new record, I will um, get together with him for like two and three days sessions. He lives down in Austin, mm. Texas, but he'll come up uh, or I'll go down and we'll kick stuff around and, you know, and he'll say, play me something, you know? So I start playing him something I'm working on, you know, and if, and if he feels like it, he'll grab a guitar and start filling in some other parts and listening to it. And then, you know, and then he says, we stop, we get to the end and he'll look at me and say, that's good. Keep it up. <laughs> 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 you know, and that's all I need. That's, yeah. all, that's what I need, you know? And, I hear and, But it, it, it uh, it gets me going, you know, and, and, you know, if you told me that I would spend 18 months, you know, during this pandemic, not doing anything, I would have said, Hey man, I'll have three albums written, but I don't, you know, I've right. got about, I got about a half a record in the, in the, in the infancy stages, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, I realize now that I've got to be out there playing. I got to be yeah. out there doing it, you know, and sort of then I, then I have to get disciplined. 
you know, and, and to me, I, it's very hard for me to get disciplined when it's so easy to lay around the house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's weird. Is it, is it more like, because I mean, you know, the pandemic kind of affected us all and it, and it shifted the, you know, our mindset, our business sense or whatever, but I feel the same way you kind of did without that feedback and without kind of meeting people and being out in the world, it does kind of diminish, you know, the creative creativity and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, it takes it takes people. It's not. I I don't know. There's some people I I know that that's not true of everybody. Right. There are people, <laughs> that, people that can work alone and do. You know. Right. But, um, because it is funny because you you just you know from what you've been we've been talking about you describe yourself as a very singular act you know you're on yeah. somewhat uncomfortable being around other people but you do rely on them in a certain sense oh, yeah. to get the creative juices flowing so it's oh, a it's a delicate yeah. balance right right well I you know I, I've gotten better about that I'm, and you know um, the first producer that I had that really taught me how to enjoy myself in the studio was Stephen Bruton and Stephen, right and Bruton. Uh, knew how to have fun in the studio and he showed me how and he said, yeah you know one of the things he told me is this chris chris we're not carving a granite statue this is a snapshot <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic well a lot of people seem to ask you to play stuff would you be able to play us something on the show sure. now sure. thank you so much i appreciate yeah. that that would be great love to hear something man thank you uh Here's, here's one. You know, one of the things that people ask me all the time, and I think Tom was getting ready to ask me this, was, was how growing up in New Orleans influenced my my music or the way I think about it. And it's a question that I never know how to answer because it's like, I, I, you know, and, and this line appears in the song, you know, it's like asking a fish what he thinks about water. He doesn't think about it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when we were down in New Orleans doing this, uh, this, uh, oh, it's a funny little echo song. You were talking about that before. I heard anyway, um, uh, so Goody says to me, he says, man, you should write a new song for this album, you know, at least one new one, you know, for this. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I didn't want to do it because that was going to be a lot of work. And <laughs> said, Come on, do it. So I, I wrote this song and it's called What I Do. And it's sort of an attempt to answer that question about New Orleans. Nice. Can you hear this okay? Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Can't you just come out and play? Let's see what you got today. I 
make it sound that way. I never know just what to say. It's beans and rice and sticky nights and egg too fade to keep it in the groove. It just comes out that way. You won't go back in like gumbo rising down your chin. Feeling is just a little thin, but it's slick as glass and dark as sin with zombies on the upside. Take him for a ride, make him move. Oh, I see this, and ain't no wonder. It's a miracle. You ain't six feet under. The water, they just do the things they own. Birds don't understand, yeah. They don't even know it's there. They don't have a clue. But just like me, they do the things they do. It's what I do. It's what I do. It's what I do. That was amazing. That was so great, dude. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That song felt like New Orleans. I love New Orleans. I feel like yeah. the culture, the food, everything about <laughs> yeah. it is so it's amazing. It's a great place. I'll tell you something, though. It's a great place to be from. <laughs> it, gives you, it gives you instant cred, you know, whether you deserve it or not. <laughs> oh, that's a, you, you said you missed it when you went back there. Did you ever plan on going back again? I like visiting now. You know? Yeah, it's it's um, it's a strange place, and and it's very attractive, but it's very seductive. Yeah. It's very inward looking, and you can get lost there. Right. Most of the most of the musicians I know that got anywhere had to leave. You know. Right. And that that includes Louis Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> Are you? Is there just a lot of vices there that kind of prey on people who creative people? Well, no, it's not. That, well, there are there, but those you can find those anywhere. They exist there. Yeah, uh, yeah that's true. In, in their, their own sort of unique way, but um, mainly it's because there's so many places to play. There's so many things for musicians to do that mm. they can kind of make a living without leaving town. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so nobody hears about them. You know? it's yeah. Like, um, yeah, there's a lot of places like that, too, for like, I feel like, you know, even New York to a certain extent, like if you're a stand up and you're in New York, you can get a very bad habit of playing that same, the same, same like circuit, same yeah. circuit, same clubs and never leaving and stuff. And then you kind of miss out on like a richer experience of, you know, touring the country and stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. tra travel was the thing I always loved about performing anywhere. I just like being going places and meeting new people and, you know, uh, exactly. trying to get lost outside of the hotel room. Yeah, the charm the charm of that fail, uh, fades a little bit the older you get. But... <laughs> you're, you're not the first person to tell me that. And I'm always like, oh, my, is it happening? Because I, I, I feel it every now and again. Like, uh, yeah. like after, like, yeah. I, I think a... even... Sorry, I was gonna say I was thinking even after the pandemic too, like I've gotten offers to go, you know, I mean, you know, we're hitting it again apparently and 
we don't know what's going to happen, but, uh, you know, offers to go like a certain distance sometimes. And I'm like, I don't think I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, people ask me, do you still enjoy the touring? And I say, you know, I love the playing. I love the performance, mm. but the getting there is, uh, it's not yeah. as much fun as it used to be, but it's, you know, on the other hand, it's easier than it used to be because you know, the accommodations are nicer than, you know, oh, yeah. not, not living on people's couches anymore. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> I don't know what that's like. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. It's, it's, yeah, that's always, that's always a benefit uh, to that kind of stuff too. And I don't know, like there's times I, I'm fool myself into thinking I've missed it. And then, you know, you go do a gig that's like 10 hours away and I'm like, I want to get out of this fucking car. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't want I don't want to see street signs or trees. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just brutal. Um, I can't I can't do that. I mean, I, I'm I'm down to the point now where I'll drive for four hours. You know, mm. and if I have to drive further than that, I better be going the day before the gig, not the same day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I remember one time, uh, and I never did it again. But I remember doing a college gig, and I made the mistake of like it was in. It was, I live in New Jersey. It was in Maine. Oh, and I was like, oh, I'll just leave early that day and get there. Right. I was so shot by the time I got, it was like a t 11, 12 hour. There was like a blizzard also. All I yeah. got to do was pop into my hotel room and then leave immediately and then go to the gig and then yeah. get an hour and then go back to the hotel room. And I was just, I was, I was wrecked. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm never fucking doing that again. That was brutal. It is. It is. Um, well, thank you so much. It's been an hour. I don't want to keep you any longer than that. Um, but uh, I, if you want to stay, we can, we can still talk. But I ask everybody that's on the show this, um, and I'd love to get your take on it. If you could go back in time hmm. and give your younger self a piece of advice that would kind of help you out today, something that you didn't know then that you know now, what would it be? Oh, that's a good one. Um I think, you know, if I had learned earlier that the important thing is, is the music and not me, <laughs> I would have been better off. When I realized that I, it came a point very, you know, probably in the middle of my career and it happened on stage and I was in facing a situation that I didn't, I didn't like and I thought was unfair and I thought it wasn't showing me to my best advantage. And, and suddenly this little light came on and I said, you know, all you got to do is play the best you know how and lay it out there. That's the only thing that's in your power at all. Right. And, you know, and, I, and since then I've learned that, that that is really all I have to do. You know, you just take the me out of it and make it the music. And believe me, if you do that, the me will get all the attention it can handle. You know? Right. It, it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's a, uh, it's not about me. It's about can I can I lay something out there that moves people? That's great. That's a that's yeah. really good advice. I feel like that spans all kind of artistry and any yeah. kind of yeah. performing. Um, and do you have any advice for anybody coming up in the music business now? Don't learn how to do anything else. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'll go do it for sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, had a, I had a theater arts teacher I remember who was like, "If you have a fallback plan, you're going to fall back on it." That's it. Yeah, that, and I used to think about that. I'd be like, "Fuck!" So I shouldn't get a job. <laughs> don't get don't get something you can't walk out on immediately. You know, at a moment's notice. Yes, absolutely. 
Um, and well, dude, are you listed in the phone book? Is the other question. Yeah, yeah. Is traveling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love coming to Boston. So, yeah. If you um, want, uh, if you want to find me, you can find me. Yeah, I'm, I'm not that hard to find. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so so much for coming on, dude. I really appreciate it, and I yeah. love all your music and stuff. And I hope I get to see you live one day as, as this all clears up and stuff. It's a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you live myself. Man. Thanks so Absolutely. much, man. Yes, too. I'm, I'm definitely coming with John. I can't wait to see yeah. you. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so All much. Right. You're very welcome. welcome. Thanks, guys. Yep. Take care, man. Peace. Dystopia Tonight.